is Writer's Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I'm your host, David Wilk, and today I'm talking to Kelly Jo Ford about her book, Crooked Hallelujah, which is a wonderful book. Um, I did, I always have to mention that, you know, these days I, I often get to read books in digital form, and it, I find that it's really different to read the book digitally than in a print form when it comes to talking about it with the author, with you, Kelly, in this Kelly Joe, in this case, because I don't have a physical book to kind of leaf through and refer to while we're talking. So I have to really contain it all in my head, which doesn't really work because you can't contain a whole book in your head unless you wrote it, <laughs> which you did. So then we we don't have that problem. You don't have that problem. Anyway, uh, sorry for pontificating, but how are you? I am hanging in there. Is um my answer these days. <laughs> I think that's we, you know, right. That that is. Yeah. Like, I think that's the answer that we all have to fall back on now. I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, you know, grateful to be healthy. Yeah, um, exactly. So. Standing upright. Well, I I want to start. I, I you know just by t- talking. I don't want to ever give away story, so we won't talk too much about the actual story itself. But by talking about the book, hopefully we can let people know who have not read it, uh, why they might want to read it. Um, you know, I, and I think I have to tell you, it's a really beautifully written book. Uh, I always can tell a, a well-written book because I don't notice that, you know, I don't, it doesn't call out. It's just beautifully done. And like a good, a well-designed building, you don't notice how it's been designed. You just read. So I want to compliment you on being a really good writer. Thank you so much. That's really generous of you. Thank you. So I, I want to ask you first, um, this is a story about four generations of women um, in eastern Oklahoma, uh, Cherokee Nation. Mm-hmm. You are you are a member of the Cherokee Nation, I know. Um, it, t- can you talk a little bit about the title, how you came to, what, what does Crooked Hallelujah mean for those who have not read, yet read the book. Sure. You know, the title was something that really just came to me early. Um, it's a title that was just sort of like gut felt and it, it never, never left me. So I had the title early um, and it's a book um, in great ways. I think about faith um, and, you know, the, one of the main characters, Justine and, I think it's really her story. We start with her and then we, we end with her. Um, and she's a character who struggles with her faith um, throughout her life when we meet her as a teenager until um, we last see her. And I think that in great ways, the story is about the relationships of mothers and daughters and um, finding some kind of, I don't know that salvation is, is the right word, but um a really, really deep connection that um, is often flawed, but it is is sort of a, a fierce connection and a fierce love that is maintained through the generations of these women and girls. And I think that's where um, crooked comes from. You know, it's you know, in a literal sense, it's not a straight path to this release or this sort of salvation that perhaps different characters find. Um, but I, I think that's that's where it comes from. I never really um, the title just it felt right. It felt like it, it fit. 
And it is, it's, it's a book that is really a kind of interweaving of stories. Did you start mm-hmm. out to write, did you start out to write this as a kind of longer piece or was it, um, you know, you wrote a story and then you kind of felt that there was more to be told? Sure. I, I started um, just sort of story by story trying to write the perfect, um, what Alan Chuse called when I was at uh, grad school with him, the, the perfect art story. Uh, and never having achieved that, obviously, but I was just trying to write a complete movement. Um, but I kept coming back to the same characters um, and the same places. And it, it just became clear eventually that I, I needed to... Um, I needed to keep going and I needed, I was, I was telling a much bigger story. So I, I sort of stepped back and tried to see what, what, what I had and what the story was, because it was one that um, I didn't feel like I was necessarily guiding it. I was taking what, what was given. And then, you know, you realize, Oh, maybe, maybe there's a book here and, and you look at what the overarching narrative is and then, then you go back and, I think that's when it gets hard. <laughs> right. No, I, I sometimes I wonder about that, you know, that we, because we're given this notion of novel, that, you know, that's mm-hmm. a form that is accepted and kind of, uh, uh, you know, we read a lot, I read a lot of novels, you know, there's sort of, there is an mm-hmm. accepted form, but not all stories fit that kind of narrative construction and other story, you know, this is a story much more, you know, I kind of look at it as because it's a generational uh, telling it, that you, you can look at it as a kind of woven network of stories. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how it feels when you read it, that it, you're not reading a traditional narrative with a, a, a beginning, even though, you know, sometimes novels go back and forth in time and, you know, we can have right. uh, flashbacks, but there's always a kind of, you know, this sort of traditional novel form, this book does not follow, which I, I appreciate, you know, I think that not, you don't have to write a story as a novel, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, and it's interesting that Alan Schuess was one of your teachers, because I think he's talked about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm sure he has, I don't remember specifically what he said about it, but, um, yeah, he was, he was a really great teacher and really, um, you know, I think, I think that he's throughout this book in ways mm. as are other teachers. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Who, yeah. who do you kind of look at as your, whether they're literal mentors or people sure. whose work you admire that might be influential in the way you think about writing? Who would they be? Sure. I mean, so for this book in particular, I went back to Love Medicine and read it <laughs> again and again. Yep. Um, that's probably obvious. I just felt like um, unavoidable. so inspired, <laughs> so inspired, you yeah. know, by the way that she was able to tell a story of, of a place and um, families, you know? And so it was just, I mean, I, I, I guess it's so obvious. Maybe I don't even have to mention it, but I, I, you know, that's, that's where I went over and over and over. Um, And when I was struggling to figure out where the book started, I thought about um, how, how that, how love medicine started. And there is a writer named Dylan Landis um, who has a collection of stories. I'm not going to be able to think of um, 
the name of it right now. But at any rate, she also studied love medicine um, as she was writing um, this collection of stories um, and what novel and stories, link stories, um, what, whatever you want to call it. But something that Dylan Landis said was that you need to put the engine of the book up front. Um, and that is, so that, that's what I thought about a lot in the last couple of years when I worked on the book. Um, how do I, how do I tell this story? Because I had all of these, I, I had a movement, but I didn't know exactly how to start it. And then ultimately, um, I, I realized that you have, it, you have to start with Justine's origin story, which is also Rini's origin story um, for readers who haven't read the book yet. Those are two, it's the, you know, it's a book about four generations of, of, of Cherokee women and the, the two youngest generations are Justine and her daughter, Rini. But so I had to go back to her origin story when she was 14, 15 in the Cherokee nation of Oklahoma. And, um, and that just seemed to be where the, the story jumped off. Um, but that comes from studying love medicine and then looking at other novels and stories or linked collections and, and trying to figure out how they worked. Right. Well, yeah, it's, it, I was going to ask you about Louise and, you know, mm-hmm. whether that was an influence. And of course, she's been writing that, though, that family for a really long time. So, and, and I feel like the characters just become so powerful. And, it, you know, the, your book is character-driven. It's all about these characters. I was really, mm-hmm. you know, thinking a lot about Lula, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know and, and just this, the whole um, kind of feeling of beingness that they that you communicate about these women. They're very, uh, you know, kind of contrasting them to the men. The men are kind of cowboys. You know, they always come and go. Mm-hmm. They're not really there. Uh, it's not just that they're not physically present, which in many cases they're not, but that they are not reliable. They're not, um, uh, they're just not there uh, in, this, in the same way the women are. And the women persist without the men's uh influence in a way i mean there, you know there is an influence but it's the women this is a woman's story and it's mm-hmm. it's matrilineal in ultimately in that way and i just you know it's very powerful thank you thank you so much um and i i take great heart in you reading um interviews with louise erdrich there's one in the paris review where she talks about how much I, I think it's one in the Paris Review where she talks about how how many times she's gone back and revived love medicine. And I, I take great heart in the way that it seemed that she was just never could be finished with these families. Um, because sometimes that felt like um a flaw. You know, going back to the same same well again and again. And, you know, and then you read Erdrich's work and you read her talking about it and you realize that sometimes it's just a gift and do with it what you will. Yeah. I also, I think that the, the, um, the characters demand to have their stories told Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's so much for them to say. And I think that's what you said earlier was that you, it was, you were given this story to tell in a way, you know, that it drove you. And I think that that's really important that sometimes you just have to tell the story or the, or whatever it is that you are being given to, um, to talk about. And 
you don't always get to choose. <laughs> I and I yeah, and and that can be, you know, that can be a challenge, but also it can be a gift. I I do think. Well, it is no, it's definitely a challenge. It's yeah. almost like a burden. I was reading um, <laughs> a lecture that. Uh, Jack Spicer gave, this is like 1965 at the Berkeley Poetry Conference, and he was talking about his notion of poetry as a channeling of words coming from, like, we don't know where, in his case, outer mm -hmm. space, you know, the Martians, he would call it. Uh, if you think <laughs> about or, uh, the uh, Jean Cocteau's movie, Orpheus, which I love and is kind of one of the key keys for me in how to understand art, the poet tunes into the radio of an abandoned car and listen hears and writes down the poems that the radio is broadcasting to him alone and i think sometimes really and what spicer talked about was the complexity of that how do you deal with sometimes it's really not what you wanted to be talking about and you don't know what they why are these voices choosing you to speak through and what are they saying and are you converting what they say properly you know passing it through yourself properly or are you changing it because of your ego and these are all you know those are kind of really important questions in some ways uh, about mm -hmm. art you know because you know it's sort of the historical tradition of inspiration but on on some level it's also just as you you know the spirituality of the of writing of art is is its power and you know, you don't know where that is coming from. And sometimes the songs choose you to sing. And I think that um, if that's a, you know, that that is a responsibility. It's not something that we necessarily are well equipped to handle. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I really appreciate this conversation because it's easy to forget, especially at this point, you know, in the process. But also, you know, I worked on the book for, um, many years um because for as i mentioned in a sense like i didn't really understand that i was writing a book and i was a person who didn't necessarily i i didn't i i got an mfa but i didn't go to grad school thinking i'm going to now i'm going to write a book or a novel and there it the these stories do feel like they were were given to me but at a certain point in many years of working on a book, the revision, you can, you can lose sight of, I think that sort of um, spiritual, we'll call it aspect yes, of it. Yes. You know, because you're working. Right. Your, yeah. your work. Yeah. You're, it's sort of like the balance of craft to spirit. Mm -hmm. You have to be, mm -hmm. you have to be able to tell the story. You have to have the right words, but sometimes, you know, you don't want to craft your story out of its existence. Mm -hmm. So exactly. that's a, and that's a balance. I think, I, I think also just, it's a challenge, you know, because you hear so many different voices speaking to you when you're a writer, you're trying to figure out which one is the right one. Mm -hmm. So that kind of raises that out. One of the questions I was going to ask you about, it was just, you know, when did you um, feel uh, that you were going to be a writer? You know, when did it sort of hit you that you wanted to write? Sure. Um, I don't know um, because I think it was something that um, from the time I was really young, it was something that 
I could do. And I took some joy in and, and teachers encouraged me and that felt nice, you know? Um, and so it was something that was always a part of my life in some way. Um, and I went to grad school, I guess, in my late twenties. Um, but again, I still didn't really have this idea that I could go and be a writer. It was just that, oh, I have this opportunity to go do this. I will, I would like this, this is the next thing. Um, and may, uh, it, maybe it's still settling in. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure, but it's something that, that's always been a part of my life in, in, in some ways. Um, and I was reluctant to call myself a writer for a very long time. Um, kind of just like I wanted to chop the wood, carry the water. I want to write this story and do the very best that I can. And then this story. Um, okay. And now this book. Um, and, and now, now here I am. I, I have written a book and it, it's a book that feels very close to my heart. So that feels good. And now what's, What's next? I don't know. Is that always the question? Right. Well, I think that (laughs) is, well, that's, I think it is, you know, everybody has to grapple with. And and I think in your case too, because this is your first book and it's gotten a Mm -hmm. lot of really, um, I think you've gotten a lot of praise for this book. You've gotten a lot of positive attention for it. I think that, that by itself is also a burden. You know, it's kind of like, it's great to be told, you know, that you really did something special, but it also, I think it must be um, distracting a little bit at the same time. It certainly can be. Um, my temperament, my husband tells me that the worst thing that ca- can happen to me on any given day is I get good news. <laughs> <laughs> you don't trust it, you mean? or is it- um, I, I think just suddenly, like, um, it, it, anxiety kicks in, and um, then I begin to worry about what is this, and right. what, you know. Um, just, just sort of a typical story of anxiety, I think. Yeah. Well, that's true. Well, I think it is. Yeah. Everybody, I think we all suffer a little bit from that. You know, when somebody says you did something good, then it makes you nervous. Like, what do I have to be? That means I have to live up to that standard for the next thing. And that's sort of what I I was, you know, thinking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, but I think it's, you know, it puts a burden on a writer, I think also, you know, like. Mm-hmm. or what's the expectation for the next book and i remember i read a book years ago it was about um uh business and it was about creativity and business and the kind of the essential of the story was you know when somebody creates a new product out of it's seemingly out of nowhere it's this wonderful thing that it usually is because that person was close to a community and they came up with something really cool that everybody in that community wanted it was and that's why it was successful and then mm-hmm. but then the question is what do they do next and mm-hmm. you know it's really hard you sort of have to rethink who you are it because the first mm-hmm. thing came out it was like the essential you it was the thing that was burning in your soul and right. that, then what do you do after that <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that's a very real thing um yeah. i i have an idea for what i i think that i would like to work on next and i have started an idea but you know this book crooked hallelujah didn't come from an idea and so that's a very different way to approach approach writing, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, it does completely. 
So do you feel, now you grew up in Eastern Oklahoma and the book is, you know, very much of the place, you know, you go back and forth mm-hmm. to Texas during the course of the story, but uh, it, always, it sort of feels like Oklahoma is home. Texas is this kind of possibility. It's the place of possibility, but it's always disappointing. Mm-hmm. So you come back to Oklahoma and, but you don't live there now. And so how do you feel? I mean, do you feel that that affects you in terms of your creativity that, um, you know, not being in the place where you grew up or does that not matter? Um, I don't think that, I, I don't think it matters. Um, and, you know, many of the bones of the story um, follow follow my life as well. Like the the characters are fictional, you know, they get to make their own mistakes, um, have their own adventures. Um, but some of the bones of the story are, you know, sort of my, my lived life. Um, but for me, I, I did grow up in Eastern Oklahoma, but Texas feels more like home because that's where I graduated from high school. And that's where more of my memories that I have come from. Um, so I think for me, when I write about Texas, it's um, it's just there, you know. Like I, I I don't have to work at a description of a a place. It it just sort of oozes out. Um, when I write about Oklahoma, I have to think about it a little more um, and do do research. Um, and so I don't know. I haven't written about other places very much, but as an adult, I've moved around a lot. So I don't know really how that will affect um, writing from, uh, you know, what I may write about in the future, because I feel like place is really important. In in fiction that I, I like and I enjoy, place is really important. And I feel like characters kind of are born of a place. Um, so for an adult who's moved around a lot, I, I don't really know what that means, but maybe yeah. I will always go back to the well of, of what I, I have known, which feels natural. Right. No, it's an, that is an interesting point. I think a mm-hmm. lot of, I've always felt that place was crucial and mm-hmm. it, powerful. And yet, um, you know, I've never felt... Well, I, I do personally have places that I feel really attached to, but um, I think a lot of writers get, um, may go for, you know, the place doesn't necessarily have to be the one that they were born in that mm-hmm. ends up being the place where they are most at home, if you want to mm-hmm. look at it that way. You know, there's a kind of, and maybe that's just an American thing, you know, because Americans are constantly either moving or migrating from one place to mm-hmm. another. Um, so it may be that we just don't necessarily feel as rooted as people who stay in one place forever do, generation after generation. Right. Um, but, you know, I think for for a lot of people in America, there is there's that kind of tension between the place that you feel most at home with and the place where you end up. It's not, mm-hmm. not always the same. No, absolutely not. So how do you feel, I guess, this sort of question of identity? Um, you know, I, I want to just 
touch on that a little bit if that's something you're you want to talk or able we want to talk about and that is this you know that because you you will be identified as a uh Cherokee writer let's say um and unavoidably because you are a Cherokee person but you know does that does does I mean, is that important to you in terms of your identity? I mean, obviously, that's not a fair question. Of course, it's important to you. But <laughs> I mean, in terms of being a writer, um, the um, how do you you know what are you f- thinking about in terms of um, identity? Sure, I don't think that it's a conscious um, thing with me when I'm writing. I think that I'm writing, as you said, like it's very character driven. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's, it's something that I'm really carrying into the work. Um, and let me, let me think a little bit. So your question was, how am I thinking about identity when I'm, when I'm working on something? Did I I understand this? I I guess I was, you know, it's probably me being confused about the question I wanted to ask. And it's, Mm -hmm. I sort of feel sometimes that it's, you know, it's it's this double-edged sword that you get identified as a writer of your cultural uh, heritage versus writer as just writer. Um, sure. But then, you know, it's sort of like saying, well, you're a, a woman writer. Well, or you're, a, mm-hmm. well, but why does, why does a woman writer have to be identified separately from a man, a male, you know, men, men, you know, right. people don't say, oh, there's a male writer. You know, why do we say mm-hmm. that's, she, that's a woman writer or that's a Cherokee writer? Right. That's a black writer. Uh, you know, it, it just seems, you know, we're stuck with this identity issue. Uh, and yet it, it's, it is important. You know, our who we are, our mm-hmm. heritage, where we come from is important. It's meaningful. Um, it's part of our, you know, it's part of the art. Um, and I guess I was just, you know, I was probably not clear in my own mind about what the question was that I wanted to ask. Um, but just sort of introducing that idea, you know, like, what are your thoughts about that, I guess? Sure. I mean, I feel like um, I, I, if I am known as a Cherokee writer, then that makes me really proud. When I, when I think, when I feel most nervous about um, someone reading the book and liking it, it's someone from where I come from, where, where, you know, where the, whether it's, it's Texas or Oklahoma, I think about people I grew up with, you know, like, um, did I capture this thing I was trying to capture? So absolutely. Like if I'm known as a Cherokee writer, that makes me really proud. Um, particularly as someone who mostly grew up away from the Cherokee nation, still coming back to see, you know, cousins, grandmothers, family. Um, but so that, that's something that feels like a real honor. Um, and yeah, so I, but you know, you know, then there's like a question of like, what is like a Cherokee story? I don't know. And I think that it it feels like, like, you know, natives, Cherokees, like we, we should, is there a Cherokee story? Like we should get to tell our stories, whatever, um, in, in the way that they feel revealed to us, you know, tell the story that we can tell. Um, if, if that makes sense. I don't think that I need to be like representative of a Cherokee writer. Right. 
but I'm proud to be a Cherokee writer. If that, um, yeah, that makes to- yeah. total sense. And actually, I think it mm-hmm. clar- it is clarifying. You know that it's this idea that you are um, you you tell the story that is your story, and that makes it a Cherokee story because right, you know, it does you, it doesn't necessarily have to be definitional by anybody else's standard. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that and maybe right, it, but it, but I. I, I do think that sometimes with uh, readers or maybe editors or agents in in the world, like there there can there can be certain expectations, you know, like is the story like Indian enough or right. something? So well, then they. But I that's think it's them, an interesting right. question. Right, they're putting, but then there's a sort of that kind of gets at what I was talking thinking about, you know, that we tend to mm-hmm. put people in categories based on our own expectations of what they should be. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of um, almost imperialistic, you know, Mm -hmm. it's uh, uh, the kind of forcing people into a box. Why should they be in that box? You know, they they are who they are. And I think that, yeah, I think there, but there is a tendency to expect, we have expectations of what it means to say that is a native writer or, you know, a, Black writer, right. woman writer, and all of those are external. They're they're not f- coming from the person, the writer. It's her or himself. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to me today. I really like this book a lot, and I'm will very much look forward to your next book. Uh, this has been Writer's Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I'm your host, David Wilk. I've been talking to Kelly Joe Ford about Crooked Hallelujah, a book I really recommend you read. Thank you so much, David. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and I really appreciate you reading the book and thinking about it. It, it feels really great to to talk to a reader who's been so thoughtful about uh, something I wrote. Like uh, This is all new to me, and it's <laughs> pretty amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's great. 